0: Well good morning. It is good to see so many of you here. First service was like packed full. It was crazy. And uh, we had a contingent out under the pavilion. There's nothing like being here together and worshiping live, is there? Except for the people who are at home going, yeah, well there's nothing like worshiping from my living room with my feet up. So we're glad that you're joining us uh, as well. Um, There's been a couple of people who've asked me some questions that were watching online the last couple of weeks. I I posted a picture last week of kind of the full house crowd in the first service. And someone was like, there's no masks. Nobody had any masks on. So here's here's the deal, just so you know kind of where we're at with the county. I know it's always changing and everything. Um, If you come to campus, the county has asked us to wear a mask If we're in the lobby, if we're in the hallway, if we're heading to the bathroom, anything like that, while you're making your way to your seat, everybody had a mask on. But once you're at your seat, uh, you can take your mask off. As I look around, we probably have 40 people in here, 35 or 40 people in here, uh, four or five people with their masks still on, maybe six people with their masks still on. Um, So just so you know, if you come and you're like, you know, are they – We are going to do whatever the county tells us to do. Our emergency management director is Alan Harris. We've become good friends through all of this. He's a Christian. He's a believer. Um, We email sometimes as many as five times a week back and forth. I can't believe he has time to answer all my emails rather quickly and promptly. Um, So, if you're outside, like you're out under the pavilion right now and you're out under the vapor system, by the way, we have a cooled pavilion and, I mean, it's a cool pavilion, but now it's a cooled pavilion, and we're also adding uh, like five or six fans out there. It's going to be it's going to Shangri-La out back. We're, uh, we're anticipating, especially in early service, we're almost full in this room, uh, that we're going to need a lot of that space. Um, if you're out in the pavilion, though, no need for a mask unless you want to wear one, of course. Uh, that's up to you. Uh, so if you come and you see people outside and and they don't happen to have a mask on. By the way, I don't wear a mask anymore. I've gotten one of these shields, one of these face shields. This is the greatest thing. It's easier to breathe for me. Um, and I don't get as sweaty. I get a little bit of sweat right here, but not all over here. And the main thing is people can see me smiling because people were going, hey, "Pastor, you're not even smiling at me." I'm like, "I'm smiling. I'm telling you, I'm smiling." No, I can't, you know. Now I get it. Some of you would rather. I wear a mask. <laughs> you know, it depends on whose face you want to see, right? Some people, hey, you look great with the mask on. I don't know. I don't know what that means exactly, what they were trying to tell me. But I just want you, you can stay at home and worship online. That is totally okay, totally cool, as long as you need to, um, especially if you have any underlying health conditions. We want you to do that. Uh, but we're trying to just communicate to you kind of what the, what the situation is here, if they're Wear your mask to – and I want to thank you. Those of you who are here, thank you so much for wearing your mask in the hallways. Wear your mask to get to your seat. You're welcome. You can keep it on or off. Check out the face shields if you want to work through that. Anyway, just want to let you know what's going on and that we are totally in compliance um, with all that. So if you've got your program, pull that out, open it up. The outline that we're going to look at, all the scripture that we're going to use are going to be on the side screens or they'll be on your TV screen or on the screens out in the pavilion – Uh, at the bottom, and uh, you can follow along. If you're watching from home, like Julie said, um, great time to have downloaded your, maybe you print off the outline if you want to write notes, or if you want to just download it to your device, you can fill it in on your iPad or your iPhone or or, uh, your Android device or whatever you want to do with that as well. We started a new series a few weeks ago um, called Faith Works and how that changes everything. And we've been studying this. We're going to go through the book of James over the next, I don't know, 12 to 14, maybe 15 weeks, and we're going to look at how a faith that works changes everything in our life and really will change everything as we go through this whole COVID epidemic, um, this pandemic that we're going through right now. Today, I want to talk about decisions. Now, I know some of you, you've got some decisions to make. Or you've had some decisions to make. Really, when you think about it, life is a series of decisions. I just want us to look at what James, your brother Jesus, has to say on how to make up your mind when you're faced with a tough decision. Life is full of decisions, and basically, life is a series of choices that we make every day. We evaluate things, we decide things, we draw conclusions with the data that's in front of us. There's a guy named Frank Borham who's famous for saying, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. That there are consequences to decisions that we we make. Have have you determined that in your own life? Some of the decisions that you've made in the past are affecting your life right now for the positive or for the negative. The quality of our life is determined by the decisions that we make. Sometimes we make decisions that cause a lot of regret. Sometimes we make decisions that we're like, whew, man, life is good because of that. A young businessman went to an executive, and he asked him, an executive in his company way high up at the top, he asked him for his wisdom, and he said, what is the secret of business success? And the man looked at the young executive, and he said, wise decisions that's the secret to business success and then the guy looks at him and he says well how how can i learn to make wise decisions the wise old executive said experience that's how you make wise decisions and he said well how do i get how do i get experience he looked at him and he said dumb decisions isn't that true in our own life sometimes the dumbest decisions we make give us the experience to make us wise, to make us successful.
1: Some of us learn
0: from our dumb decisions. Some of us, we don't learn from our dumb decisions. We make the same dumb decision over and over. It's been said that it's wise if you learn from your mistakes. It's even wiser if you learn from other people's mistakes. But some of us, we have to touch that hot stove over, and I don't think it's hot again this time, again, again, again. The fact is, because we're human beings, we have a great possibility, I would say even probability of error in the decisions that we make. You know what we do. We wait too long. We pay too much. We say the wrong thing. Some of you are making difficult decisions this very week. You know you have a decision to make. Some of you, you have a decision to make this week because you didn't make the decision last week. You know what I mean? Those of you who have been picking out schools, they say that 27% of Seminole County families have still not decided which of the four options that they're going to take. Face-to-face, Seminole Connect, virtual school, or some kind of hybrid choice. They're like, I still can't decide. I know. What it really is is you knew. You knew. You're like, well, Pastor Jerry's preaching on decisions, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till, till this week to make it. I want to see what he says first, right? You can tell Mr. Griffin that it was my fault. I'm sure he'll believe you kind of a thing. Life is full of choices. Some of you, you, you're going to have a big decision this week, and you don't even know it yet. We don't even know that on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, we're going to come face to face with a decision that we have to make because life is, is full of choices. So how does trusting God make tough decisions easier? Well, we're going to discover this in James 1, verses 5 through 8. He tells us how. And that's what we're going to look at in just a second. But before I share how trusting God will make tough choices in your life easier, I want to do two things. First, let me define what I mean by a tough choice. A tough choice doesn't necessarily mean it's a significant choice. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, my goodness, this is a life-changing decision here. You can have a tough choice on a much smaller decision. You can have a tough choice deciding what to wear. Today You can have a tough choice deciding where to eat lunch today. A tough choice means none of the options are more favorable than the other choice. In other words, if life was a series of there's one obvious good choice and three bad choices, most of us would get it right most of the time. Every now and then, no, I'm going to pick a bad choice anyway. Then You just got a rebel spirit kind of a thing. I'm talking about two choices. That are kind of a tie. It's two good things. I don't know which good thing. Or it's two bad things. I've I got to choose one of these two bad things. I don't know which. I don't even want to make this choice, but I'm going to have to. Or two unfavorable things. Or two painful things. They're both painful. I don't know which one's more painful. I'd like to know which one is less so I can pick that one. So I want us to look at what do we do when we have to make a tough choice? They're, they're like even. I don't know. And and here's the problem with that, whether they're equally good, equally bad, equally painful, or equally unfavorable. In those kind of situations, sometimes we can find ourselves kind of getting, there's no obvious choice, so we just kind of go, well, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to flip a coin. Don't do that. Don't just flip a coin. Because when you do that, when you just leave it a chance, you abdicate. You abdicate your power to choose. And God has given you that power for an important reason. Don't do that. Our ability to choose, our free will, our ability to make decisions is one of God's greatest gifts to us as human beings. The animal world doesn't have that. Worms don't choose. Animals don't choose. They just go by instinct. In fact, God giving us the ability to choose to make a decision is because we are made specifically in his image. So we don't want to turn that over just a chance. What God wants us to do is he wants us to make some of these these difficult choices, these hard-to-make choices, and he wants us to learn, to learn how to make better choices in the future. You don't learn anything from flipping a coin. We're going to learn how to make tough choices. The second thing before we look at the solutions, I want you to try to think of something specific that you're going to have to make a choice about. A specific thing that you're facing this week, maybe you're in the middle of that decision right now. You still haven't, you're one of those 27%, you haven't made the school choice yet. Maybe, you, maybe it's a tough choice about your finances. I mean, you're sitting here, and next week is, is the first of the month. I've been saying all day that Sunday is August 1st, and someone pointed out to me after that Saturday is actually August 1st. So it just got one day worse for the second service. The first service has an extra day to figure this out if they listen to me how am i gonna make my rent how am i gonna make my mortgage because they haven't been giving me i mean i have a job or sort of have a job they haven't been giving me the hours that they said they were going to have, give me or maybe you're in a situation like somebody texted me yesterday they're they're like in a big company and they didn't get laid off but 600 other people got laid off and they're kind of like envious of the ones who got like no you know it's like okay now who does the work of all those 600 kind of a thing and they feel like they're on a sinking ship maybe that's you Maybe you have a a decision with a relationship or a decision with your kids or you're having a hard time deciding, you know, virtual, connect, whatever. How will trusting God make my tough choices easier? First thing I want you to write down, number one, when I trust God, he gives me his wisdom. Will you fill that in? He gives me his wisdom. When I trust God, he gives me his wisdom. And that's what I need. To make one of these tough choices where there's no clear advantage, one way or the other. James 1 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask your generous God, and He will give it to you. And He will not rebuke you for asking. He never resents us asking. God loves to help us because He's our Heavenly Father. And He'll give us the wisdom that we need. Just ask. The reason we don't have wisdom is because we don't ask for it. Now, I know that's not you, because two weeks ago, 14 days ago, I talked about us asking God for wisdom. I even led you in a prayer to ask God for wisdom. And I know all of you have been asking God for wisdom every single day for the last 14 days. I mean, that's totally obvious to me. Now, if you haven't, if you were here two weeks ago and you haven't been asking God for wisdom every single day for the last 14 days, you probably ought to ask God for wisdom twice or three times a day, apparently. Every time you eat, you should ask God for some wisdom. Because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Why should I want wisdom? We talked about that. That if you don't really know why you should ask for wisdom, you really need to ask for wisdom. But well, one of the things we discover is in the book of Proverbs, there's about 30 different times that it mentions the practical benefits of wisdom. By the way, Proverbs is a place where it's a wisdom book. It's a place where you can get wisdom. There are 31 Proverbs. Remember how I always say you should read your Bible? You so, say, well, what should I read? Do I start at the beginning? Start wherever you want. But one of the things you can do for wisdom is read the proverb of the day. Today's the 26th. You turn to Proverbs 26 and you read the 26th chapter of Proverbs on the 26th day. And there's one for each day of the month, 31 days, 31 Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 3, so if you were to do this on August the 3rd, that's Josh's birthday, Pastor Doug's birthday, and unfortunately Tom Brady's birthday. (sighs) Terrible. (laughs) Proverbs 3, you would read this verse when you get to verse 18 because you read the whole chapter of Proverbs on the 3rd of the month. Proverbs 3, 18 says, Those who become wise will be happy. Wisdom is the key to a blessed life. Now, let me just ask you a simple question. Do you want to be happy? How many of us want to be happy? Yeah, I want to be. Do you want to be blessed? No, Jerry, I don't want to be blessed. I just don't want God's blessing in my life. Of course I want to be blessed. If you want to be happy and you want to be blessed, the Bible says you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need God's wisdom in your life. God's wisdom, by the way, is the opposite of of the world's wisdom. You're not, going to get the, you're not going to get wisdom by watching by watching the news or flipping through Twitter or scrolling down Facebook. Have you noticed there's not a lot of wisdom on Facebook? I'm just saying. Right? We need to get off our face off of Facebook and our face back in the book. We'll talk about that in a second. He says the key to happiness and the key to being blessed is wisdom. Now I want to just have some fun with you. I want you to just imagine with me, okay? I want you to just think of something. I want you to imagine what would you say if God showed up to you and said, I'm going to give you one wish. If God showed up to me and said, Jerry, I'm going to give you one wish, anything you want, you can ask for anything in the whole world. If God came to you and said that, I want you to dream about this a little bit, you know? Uh, you can have one wish. What would you ask for? You should have an answer for that. You should have an answer in advance in case God ever shows up. So dream about that. Dream, 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 dream. Okay? Dream about your answer. Because if you don't have an answer in advance, God might show up and say, Hey, Jerry, what, I'm going to give you one wish. What is it? And I'm going to be like, uh, uh, The Dolphins win the Super Bowl. And you're like, What? I'm not going to wish for the Do- I mean." I love for the Dolphins to win the Super Bowl. I'm not using my wish for that. Are you? So you better know in advance, dream, 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 what you would say to God if he were to come to you. You're like, well, Jerry, that's not going to happen. That's never happened. That did happen. It happened for real in the Old Testament. Now, you know that because you read your Bible. Oh, you haven't been reading your Bible? I've been telling you. You should read your Bible. If you read your Bible, you would know that Solomon, King Solomon, by the way, who wrote The whole book of Proverbs. God comes up to Solomon one day. And he says Solomon you're the king of Israel. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to grant you one wish. This really happened. What do you want more than anything else? Solomon. He thinks about it and he says you know what. I'm so inadequate as a leader. Lord and I don't know what to do with these people. That you've given me. Maybe you feel that about your family. I don't know what to do about them Lord. So. I want to be able to have your wisdom. I want to be able to make decisions like you would make decisions. I want to see things from your point of view. I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to look back on my life and have a lot of regrets like a country western song. So I want wisdom. And the Bible says that God was so pleased with that request that he gave Solomon wisdom. And he said, Solomon, because you have asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all of these other things too. I'm going to give you wealth, fame, and a long life in addition to the wisdom. Solomon not only became the wisest man to ever walk the planet, he also became the wealthiest and he lived a long life. So if God comes to you, And he says, what do you want more than anything in life? I'm going to give you one wish. Would you ask for wisdom? Would wisdom be what you ask for? Proverbs 4.7 says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. It's more important than money. It's more important than fame. It's more important than pleasure. It's more important than success. In fact, Wisdom, if wisdom is in your life, all of those other things will come into your life too. He says if we're going to focus on just one thing, focus on getting wisdom. You'll be blessed. You'll be happier. You'll be smarter. The Bible says that we need wisdom in our lives. Because we're human, we're imperfect. And that means there's a probability that the choices we make are going to have a lot of errors in those choices. How many times have you made a wrong decision? You paid too much for something. You gave up too soon. You waited too long. You said the wrong thing. So much hurt. So much pain. Comes in our lives from foolish, bad decisions. That's why we need wisdom. Proverbs 24:14 says, In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, You will have a bright future, circle bright future, and your hopes will be cut short, will not be cut short. Right now, the future doesn't look so bright, does it? Like Kristen said, there's a darkness kind of hovering over us right now. It doesn't look so secure. But the Bible says if you've got wisdom, you're going to have a bright future and a secure future, even in a COVID Environment, even in a pandemic, even with the coronavirus all over the airwaves. So, the first thing I need to do is I need to trust God. But what does that really look like? What is trusting God? If I trust God, He'll give me His wisdom. How do I get the wisdom? What does it look like in real life? Well, the Bible gives us three ways There's the three bullets that are under this trust God and He'll give me His wisdom. The first thing I've got to do is I've got to put God first in my life. Put God first place in my life. That's how I'm going to get wisdom. Number 1 is to just put God first place. I make him top priority in my thoughts, top priority in my schedule or my time, top priority in my money, top priority in my relationships and my marriage, top priority with my kids. I put God first in my life. Psalm 111:10 says, "The way to become wise is to honor the Lord." Circle the word honor. Honor the Lord. He gives sound judgment to all who obey his command. There are rewards to a life of wisdom. Did you know there are rewards for wisdom? There are those things, the the things that Solomon got power, prestige, good reputation, success. Those are the rewards of wisdom given to anyone who listens and obeys. You've got to go back up to that verse and circle the word obeys. The third to the last word. It says the way we become wise is to honor God. Honor means to respect God. It means to give him priority. We, it means to trust God. God says if you trust me, I'll give you my wisdom. But you don't just, God just doesn't give trust, wisdom to everybody. He gives wisdom to those people who ask for it and who trust him. Look what it says, it says, reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. You must be humble before you can receive honors. Notice when we reverence God, it gives us wisdom. And when we get wisdom and we humble ourselves, then other people honor us. The more humble we are, the more we're going to depend on God and on God's wisdom. Even in this virus, even in this pandemic. This crisis. So you've got to be humble or you'll stumble. Instead of trying to depend on your own wisdom. Oh, I'm so smart. I've got this figured out. We depend on God's wisdom. We're humble before him. And the Bible says that we'll make a lot fewer mistakes. Our life won't sound like a country western record or song. We'll, we'll have more positive results in our life because of the wisdom of God in our life. i got to put God first place in my life. That gives me wisdom number two, second bullet under there is if I want to have wisdom, then I have to practice God's word in my life. Practice God's word in my life. Not just put God first, but practice his word. This book, the Bible, is full of wisdom. But you don't get wisdom simply by reading it. Now, I know I say all the time, have I told you lately we should read our Bible? And we should read our Bible. You should read it, read it, read it, read it all the time. But there's an ulterior motive to me getting you to read the Bible, and that is you've got to do what God's Word says. You've got to practice God's Word. We have to become not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word, it talks about in Hebrews. Instead of trying to depend on my own wisdom, I want to go to God's Word and I want to ask, man, does God's word have anything to say about this decision? Look what it says in John 13:17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Circle the word doing them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. We're not blessed simply by knowing the Bible. A lot of people know the Bible, but they don't do it. Have you ever met some of those people, really religious people? They can tell you, all, they can tell you in your life all the things you're doing wrong according to the Bible. You know, the truth is you could, be, you could be a genius. You could be a Mensa member. You could memorize the whole Bible. You could memorize every word in the Bible. Nothing against memorizing it. But if that's all you did was memorize it, but you didn't use it or apply it or do it, it doesn't do you any good. I've said many times for years, the only parts of the Bible that we really believe are the, are the parts that we practice. People say, well, I believe that we should do this, and I believe we should do that. And I say, well, do you do that? Well, no, but I believe we should. No, you don't really believe. They don't really believe. We only believe the parts that we do, that we practice. The Bible says I should put God first, and I should practice God's word. Now, why should I practice what God tells me to do? In 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one, 31 in the NIV, it says, As for God, His ways, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. God's way is perfect. Circle, perfect and flawless. God's word is always flawless and true. His way is always perfect. His word is flawless and true. And if I do it His way, if I follow His word I'm going to do the right thing at the right time in my life. It will always be the right thing to do. And whenever I have a decision to make, a difficult decision to make, I go to God's Word and I say, does God's Word have anything to say about this decision? His way is always perfect. His Word is always flawless and true. James 1.25, this is the, the book we're studying, the chapter we're studying, James 1. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, that is, you study it. I'll just read it. You look carefully into the perfect law, His Word, study it. That sets you free. The more I study God's Word, the more freedom I will have. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, remember it, then, in fact, circle the word then, then God will bless you for doing it. So, when we write verses down on a 3x5 card and we memorize those verses, we remember them, and then we do them, we put it into practice, God says, Your life is going to be blessed. It's like when we go through the 40 day campaigns. We go through 40 days of prayer a couple of years ago. We go through 40 days in the Word in 2019. We go through 40 days of purpose this past year. We gave you those keychains with those verses on it. I said, memorize those verses. If you memorize those verses, those little verses on those keychains, and then you hide it in your heart, and then you do those things, then the testimony of everybody is, my life was changed. My life got better in 40 days of prayer, 40 days in Word, 40 days of purpose. We've got to remember the Word, study the Word, remember the Word, practice the Word. And then God will bless our lives. So how do we get God's wisdom when we're making a tough decision? I can either use my own wisdom or I can use God's wisdom. I put him first. I practice His word, third thing, third bullet under that. i got to get some godly people in my life. Some godly people in my life. Not only do I want to have God's word in my life and his wisdom in my life, I I put him first in my life. I need some other people, hang out with some people who know God's word, who can help me. Because here's the thing. The people you're hanging around right now, are determining your future pastor rich used to always tell our young people when he was in charge of the youth he always used to say you show me your five best friends i'll show you your future that is so true guess what that doesn't stop in middle school folks i'll say that as your pastor you show me your five best friends i'll show you your future you show me the five people you spend the most time arguing with on facebook i'll show you your future they're friends apparently You see, that's the thing. All of our friends are either building up our faith or they're building up our fear. They're either making us courageous or they're making us cowards. They either cause us to worship or they cause us to worry. They're either stress relievers in our life or stress generators in our life. And the quality of our life is determined by the decisions that we make. And the decisions we make are often determined by the people that we hang out with, that we spend the most time with. Some of us need to go through and cull out some quote unquote friends and start spending some time with the people in our life who are going to build up our faith, cause us to worship, relieve the stress, cause us to be courageous. Proverbs 13, 20 says, keep company with the wise, and you will become wise. If you make friends with stupid people, hello, if you make friends with stupid people, you will be ruined. Some of our friends are ruining our lives one argument at a time. Now, I realize this may seem like a difficult thing to do when you're isolating or maybe you're still social distancing. How do, I get, how do I get connected with godly people? You know, well, you can Zoom. You can Zoom. I get it. In March, Zoom was cool. I'm going to Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I Zoom. We were all singing it in March. In July, Zoom's not so cool. I'm sick of Zoom, right? So I some me you are sending your kids back to school. They can't handle it. But you could do FaceTime. Seeing someone's face is helpful. Seeing somebody without a mask on is helpful. You know, you can do the old-fashioned way where you pick up the phone, you dial the number, you reach out and touch someone. Nobody even remembers that jingle. You say, well, I don't have time to make relations. You got time to argue on Facebook for hours and all night long, apparently. Or to watch everybody else argue. So... Spend some time finding the right people. This is something for you to start praying about. On about five weeks, Labor Day is in about five or six weeks. As soon as Labor Day gets here, we're going to start a whole new semester of discipleship classes and small groups. Pray for us. We're trying to figure out how to do this, how to pivot and modify our classes and our small groups. We're going to have some face to face groups, we're going to have some Zoom groups. We're going to have some hybrid groups where five or six people meet live and face-to-face and other people Zoom in. And I get it. I have people telling me right now, Jerry, my group my group meets live and I, I'm not ready to meet live. Or my group meets on Zoom and I'm sick of Zoom. I, I need a face-to-face group. This will be a great semester. This fall semester, you can swap groups. You can go to a new group or work, figure out what works for you. We're going to ask you to make a decision just like for school. We're going to give you three, four choices And do what's best for you and meet some people in small group, whether it's face-to-face, Zoom, hybrid, or whatever we come up with, so that you can have some people who know God's Word that you can do life with. Trusting God to make tough choices is easier. You'll get wisdom from Him if you put Him first, if you practice His Word, and you spend some time with other people who know His Word.
1: But there's another way
0: that God helps us make decisions. Not only does He give us His His wisdom, but number two, when I trust God, and this is freeing, He frees me from second-guessing. When I trust God, He frees me from second-guessing. You know what I'm talking about. You've got a tough decision, a difficult decision, a rough choice to make, and you just can't decide. This or that, this way or that way, this way or that way. You know, that way, this way, this way, that way. You feel like you're in a Dr. Seuss book. I was going to read you a Dr. Seuss poem. It was way too long. You get the idea. This way, that way. This way, that way. You finally make the choice. And as soon as you make the choice, what do you do? You start second guessing. Did I make the right choice? Did I make the right choice? I don't know if I made the right choice. And you start self-doubting. You start second-guessing yourself. You agonize it. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Few things will make you more miserable in life than second-guessing every decision you make. Some people are pros at this. This can be self-inflicted torture. Some of you are really, really good at torturing yourselves with self-doubt and second-guessing. God says, this isn't smart. This is why he wants you to trust him. He says, don't do this. It's dumb. In fact, he says, if you trust me, you'll stop second-guessing. Proverbs 17, 24 says, anyone with God's wisdom will know what makes good sense. But foolish people can never make up their minds. Boy, there's been times where I've been that guy. Why can't I make up my mind? Why can't I make up my mind? Because I'm dependent on my own wisdom. I'm not depending on God's wisdom. I'm not depending on his word. I'm not asking godly people. God isn't first in my life. Now, in James chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, I'm just going to read you verse 6 to start with. It talks about when you ask God for wisdom, don't be double-minded. The word that's used in this translation is don't have divided loyalty. Look what it says. "says, But when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty or double-mindedness, as some translation says, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Now, let me just stop right there. We are in a season in this pandemic, 2020. We are in a season of ever-changing winds. Whatever we're doing today, they're going to change by tomorrow or the next next day, it seems like, doesn't it? With this coronavirus, everything changes, and it changes all the time. And I've been telling you this from the beginning. If you go back all the way to March the 15th or March the 22nd, I started by telling you, look, Nobody knows where this is going. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Don't trust the politicians. We should never trust them. Don't trust the medical experts. Don't trust the government. Don't trust your Facebook experts. Nobody knows. Only God knows. I've been telling you that. So don't get all freaked out. He said this in March. Now he says this in May. You can't trust him. Look, everybody's story's been changing. We've been adapting and changing. We are in a sea of changing winds and waves that hit us from all sides. It's not going to stop. We're going to have a lot of change. And here's the thing. If you go by what's on the news or what's on social media or what that expert says or this expert says, you're going to be so double-minded. You're going to be pulled in so many different directions. It's going to drive you crazy. He says don't do that. Don't live with divided loyalties because if you do that, you're not going to have God's wisdom. Listen, God's the only one who knows the future. God's the only one who wasn't surprised by this virus god's the only one he he's not staying up at night worrying god's up all night anyway he's not losing sleep over this god's not wringing his hand angels what am i gonna do what am i gonna do angels, angels this is a virus i don't even know i can't even see it that's are you kidding me god has a plan god's in control and god's gonna see us through this now i'm not promising you a rose garden you know believe in god and you you know you'll be virus free or whatever i know at least 50 people ...who've had the virus, and a couple who've died. Okay? So, yeah, the virus is real. Of course it is, for all 50 of those families. But you don't have to be tossed back and forth, tossed back and forth... ...have divided loyalties... ...because that makes you unstable and insecure. It makes you emotionally unstable, emotionally insecure. It makes you second-guess everything. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It makes us unstable in our relationships and everything... The Greek word actually in the Bible literally means two-souled, two souls. It means your souls are pulled in opposite directions. That's what it means when you're vacillating between two different choices. You're ambivalent. You have divided loyalties. Do you ever feel like that? I feel like that all the time through all this. Take a deep breath. Go back to put God first. Read his word. Surround yourself by his people. Don't second-guess the decision he leads you to. I remember hearing about a psychologist who asked a client, are you, he said, are you indecisive? The person says, well, yes and no. Right? I used to be, but now I'm not so sure. Right? That only creates instability in our emotions and in our relationships. Double-mindedness leads to an unstable spiritual life. It even blocks your prayers. That's what it says in that verse. Don't expect to receive anything from God if you're double-minded. It blocks your prayers. Being indecisive keeps us from having what God wants us to have. okay? So let's review. When I have a tough decision to make, I trust in God helps me because He gives me His wisdom. Trusting God frees me from self-doubt. Second guessing when I trust Him. Third thing, when I trust God, this is big. When I trust God, He acts on my behalf. When I trust God, God acts. He moves into action. In fact, the Bible says he even moves mountains on my behalf. You see, nicely as I can say it, God is not moved by our whining and our complaining, our hand wringing, our griping. Should put that on a plaque somewhere. God is moved into action in fact he moves mountains he moves blockades he moves barriers in our lives when we trust him Like god i don't know what's going on but i'm trusting you god says i got you trusting god moves him into action i remember i mentioned this earlier some of you you, you're stressed out because you know saturday's the first of the month and you got to decide rent mortgage what am i going to do you're out of work or you've got a tough choice to make matthew 929 says, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. God says, we get to choose how much he interacts and blesses our lives based on our faith. If we have big faith, we get big blessings. If we have little faith, we get little blessings. If we have no faith, no blessings. According to your faith, you get to choose how much I'm going to bless you, God says. Even in the middle of a coronavirus crisis, how much are you going to trust me for? God says. Now, I talked about faith. I don't have time to teach this, but I taught faith in the video devotions this week. Those of you who watch it, Monday we talked about what faith is not. Maybe it was Tuesday. Tuesday, what faith is not. Then two days later, what faith is, part A. And then what faith is, part B, yesterday. And we unpacked the definition of faith and talked about the difference between hope and faith and confidence in faith. And how we, if we say, God, God, I, I beg you for help, I know you can, if you choose to, you can answer this prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer, and later you said to somebody, you said, well, yeah, I prayed, but I knew it wouldn't happen, so, you know, no big deal, it didn't happen. God says, look, you set yourself up for failure there. If you can't pray believing that I can do it, then don't even waste your time praying. Pray in faith, believing. If you want to know how to pray in faith... You need to go to the website, click on the blogs, go to the three blogs about what faith isn't, what faith is, what faith is. Because doubt is debilitating. By the way, if you're not getting the blogs, your own fault. You just need to sign on and say, yep, I want the blogs. I'll send you an email every day. You'll get three written blogs and three video blogs. Open them up. You don't even have to listen to them. I'll think so many good things that you just opened up. Okay. Read the blogs, listen to them, and let that grow your faith. You remember Peter, the Apostle Peter, you remember the story of Peter? If you've been reading your Bible, like I've been saying, you remember that Peter was in the boat one day, Jesus comes walking on the water, and Peter says, Lord, bid me to come to you. And Peter, he jumped out of the boat, and he starts walking on water. Now, there's an important caveat there. If you want to walk on water, Peter's the only human being other than Jesus, Jesus, Son of God, to ever walk on water. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. You gotta have some faith. You gotta take a risk. We like to make fun of Peter because Peter because he sinks in the water, but he's the only one. It, it doesn't take a lot of faith to watch Peter walk on water from inside the boat. Eleven other disciples, they were there. Why weren't they out on the water? They had no faith. He starts walking across the water, and he gets close to Jesus. And just as he gets close to Jesus. What does he do? He looks down and he realizes, I shouldn't be walking on water. This is crazy. And he immediately starts to sink. There's a lesson for us. The moment you take your eyes off the Lord, you're dead in the water. The moment you take your eyes off of your Savior and you put it on all your circumstances, this virus, this news, the mask, the the, this, the the antibodies, the, the, the... The moment you get your eyes off all of that and you put it back on the Lord, you'll be fine. Why are you looking at all that? Why are your eyes on the waves? If it's a relationship thing, that's not your problem. If it's a work thing, your financial thing, that's not your problem. You say, but Jerry, these are just giant problems. How am I ever going to solve it? You're not going to solve it. You're going to get your eyes, if you put your eyes on Jesus and God, you'll realize God is so big. That throne is so huge. My little tiny problems fall right back into perspective. God, by the way, if your situation is impossible congratulations, God specializes in the impossible. Get your eyes off the problem, off the circumstances, your eyes back on the Lord, and your life won't sound like a horrible country song. You know, you won't get off the broken road and put your eyes back on your Savior. So you got to believe and not doubt. Let me give you one more, number four. By the way, this one is a huge encouragement to me. This is my favorite one. The other ones are great. But, I mean, this is like, you've got to be kidding me. This is, this is awesome. When you have a tough decision about your job, your kids, where to live, any major decision about your marriage, minor decision, it's just tough. When I trust God, he uses even my mistakes. He uses even my mistakes. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, when I'm trusting God, I'm putting you first, God. I'm in your word. I'm surrounding myself by some believers. I'm not second-guessing. God, I'm, I'm depending on you to move in my life into action. When I trust God and I have a binary decision, do I do A or B, do I do A or B, which one, which one, which one? If I'm putting God first, no matter which one I choose, he's going to continue to bless me. He's going to continue to make a way. They're equally good, they're equally bad, they're equally painful. I make a decision trusting God, God, this is what I think you want me to do, this is what I think I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. Even when I pick the wrong one, God says, that's okay, I'm going to use that anyway. Jerry, I knew you were going to pick that wrong one. I've already factored that in. Don't believe me, it's the verse we keep bringing up, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together, even my mistakes. For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If you love God and you really want to be in his purpose in your life, you cannot miss God's will. That should make us all just go, you mean I can't mess this up? Nope. Even you can't mess up your own life if... You love God, and you're called according to purpose, and you're making the effort. God, I'm seeking you. I'm seeking your word. I'm seeking your people. I want to make the decision that you want me to make. I want to be in your will. I want to make the right decision, even if you make it the wrong one. God's like, I knew you were going to do that. I've already factored that in. Jerry, just relax. It's going to be okay. I'm your heavenly father. I can even take your mistakes and make it okay. Amazing thing to remember. It takes all the pressure off. So the pressure isn't, do I make the right decision? The pressure point for me is, do I put him first? Am I in his word? Am I trusting and surrounding myself with his people? Those are the things I do. If I do those things, I don't have to second guess. If I do those things, God's always at, at action in my life. If I do all of those things, I don't have to worry. Even if I make the wrong decision, it's like God's like, "Yep, that's wrong, but I'm going to curve this thing." You know, you you made a wrong decision, you got the answer wrong. That's okay. That one doesn't count. I'm going to make make a way, anyway. That's amazing to remember. God says, if I trust Him, He'll even use my mistakes. And many of us have made a lot of them. Even if I choose the wrong thing, what was I thinking? God, I'm doing it in faith. I'm trying to follow you. And God says, I'll use this for good. This should help us to just, man, relax. That's why I'm my favorite one. God says, I'm your safety net. Even if you happen to choose the wrong thing, the second best thing, I'm still going to use it for good in your life. Because you love me and you're called according to my purpose. And I love you and I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Because that's what some of us think. We think, well, man, back in my 20s, back in, you know, I made a decision that's wrecked my whole life or back in my first marriage or back in my spring break of 85, you know, I made some bad decision and now I can never have God's will for my life. Are you kidding You have a big, big God. He knows the dumb decisions you're going to make tomorrow. Some of you are making them. You can't help yourself. you can make a bad decision and God's like, Yep. Yeah. I can still work that out. I don't want you to make that. It's going to have pain. It can be country song, country song. But, but I'm, if you'll come back to me, if you'll return to me, if you'll say, God, I love you and I want to follow you, he will make a way. That's not a promise for everybody. It's a promise for those of us who love God and are trying to live by his purpose. But it is such a promise. If you love God and are trying to live by his purpose, You just take a deep breath and realize, God's going to get me there. Even I can't mess this up. It takes a big God, but that's what he is. It takes a loving Father, but that's what he is. It takes a Savior on the throne who's alive and engaged. That's who Jesus is. You don't have to leave here worried. About the decision you're going to make, worried about the virus, the finances, the whatever it's been. Let's take our eyes off of the waves and put them back on our Savior and realize, man, I can get out of this boat. I can. I'm not going to let the storms of this season have me going to and fro, double-minded. I'm just going to believe God and trust in Him. I'll tell you what, I'd like to pray for you right now. If you'll bow your heads. I want you to think of a difficult decision that you're facing right now. And I want you to give it to God. To God, I don't want to make this decision not without your help. And then I want you to pray this prayer. Right from your seat, you don't have to say it out loud. Right from your living room, right from the pavilion, you don't have to say it out loud. Just think this in your mind. God can read your thoughts and say, Dear God. I want to trust you with my life. I want to trust you with my life by putting you first in my life. And I want to trust you to give me the wisdom I need because I'm asking for it. God, I need your wisdom. And pray this. Say, God, help me to get into your word and to learn your word and to practice it and to find out what you say about life. I'm going to trust you, God, to bring good friends into my life who are godly. Help me to stop hanging out with people who tear down my faith, who build up my fear, and to spend more time this week to start a relationship with somebody who's wise because they know the word. Someone that will build up my faith, who will tear down my fears. And I'm asking you to help me to have your wisdom through your word and through your people through your circumstances in my life. God, please guide me and direct me. Help me to make wise decisions. And then, Lord, I'm asking you to help me to trust you in every little area, knowing that I don't have to second-guess myself, that you'll give me the faith, the power, to stop torturing myself over decisions. Because I know that even if I make the second-best decision, You're going to bring good out of it. Thank you for that, for that comfort. Thank you for that assurance. Thank you that you will work all things together for the good in my life because I love you and I want your purpose. With our heads still bowed, if if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, God wants to give you more than wisdom. He wants to give you salvation. He wants to give you a personal relationship. He wants you to become his friend, his child. So would you just say in your heart, dear Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I want a friendship with you. I want a relationship with God. I want to be his child. I know I'm not God. I know I've made a lot of mistakes and I need your forgiveness. But I'm turning my life over to you. The good, the bad, the ugly, and there's lots of ugly. Every part of it. I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. And I want to learn to love you and trust you. So I'm opening my life to you, Jesus Christ, today. I'm saying as best as I can say, as humbly as I can say it, I'm saying yes to you today. I ask you to give me your spirit. And give me your forgiveness and your salvation. I am ask this in your name. Amen. Listen, if you've been watching and you prayed that prayer, will you please let me know I prayed to accept Jesus as my Savior? Email me at jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, at seminolechurch.com. Or if you've got my cell phone number, text me. Let me know I prayed that prayer because I want to be praying for you. If you prayed that prayer here or out in the pavilion, write it down on your communication card and leave that in one of the boxes as you leave. Listen, if you've been watching this online this week, thank you. I miss you. I'd love to see you in person. I'm glad you got to see me. I hope that you'll be joining us next week as we continue our series. Maybe invite somebody to watch with you. God bless you. Have a great week.